Hey, what up? Thanks for listening to Work Stuff. For my first guest, I have a pretty good friend of mine. His name's Daniel Harry. He's in customer success operations, and uh, we worked together briefly at Flowcast. Worked on a webinar series there. It was pretty fun on the customer success team. Good friend of mine. I still hang out with him, still play golf, and uh, kicks my butt every time, of course. But we talk about his new job offer, and then we kind of go back into his early career. Um, ESPN, working at golf, working at startups like Uber. Really cool, cool stuff there. By the way, midway through, his headphones died. And so you're going to notice his audio just kind of changes. And, uh, you know, I did the best, you know, with what I got. So enjoy. Thanks. Welcome to Work Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties. My name is Andy, and I want you to join me. stories casually told so where in the world are you at today daniel we're in sunny old sherman oaks california which is sounds great because i got some friends in colorado and they just had a 70 degree swing in 24 hours i think it's negative 10 wow gnarly it's it's not going to be for me but happy for them white christmas let's jump into it man what are you up to so you were interviewing last time you want to tell me about it yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be working for Greenhouse Software, number cool. one player in the space. Really, really, really fun company that I had just known about from being in the world of tech, but hadn't actually had any hands-on experience. Went mm-hmm. through, goodness, six or seven different stages of the interview process. Wow. Going to be doing customer success operations for them. So, in essence, a CSM for the CSMs, but Mm -hmm. even more interesting and more applicable to both you and I is that I'm going to be doing it for their scaled segmentation of clients. So, really trying to figure out of all those clients that don't talk to a CSM all the time, how can we still have some impact in driving value for them? Yeah, that is pretty awesome. And it's like meeting the buyer where they are. I remember when before this whole concept arose, it's like, oh, why don't they engage with me? I just have to assume they're going to churn and assume the worst. And I'm just a small fish, like in their bigger pond, right? Sometimes they don't need all of the resources you have on hand. Yeah, totally. Very exciting, man. I'm happy for you. Do you have like a start date and everything? Yeah, January 9th. So I have two and a half more weeks of playing some golf. Nice. Yeah, that's nice to have that lined up. And, and actually, in the gluttony of, of Amazon boxes that are showing up on our door every single day because inevitably we left Christmas shopping till too late in this family, I had a couple show up today that I wasn't expecting, and they were from my future colleagues. One of them is oh, wow. a book that they read during Q4, during their book club. Cool. said, hey, we haven't picked out the book for Q1 yet, but just thought we'd send this your way in case you wanted to catch up. And then another one was an escape room in a box. I'm not sure if it's like a DVD or a fold-out map, a board game, but wow. as soon as I That's accepted, awesome. I got an email from the boss and and she was saying, hey, just a quick questionnaire, you know, just to get to know you that I can send around to the team. And apparently they had used that to kind of customize a welcome gift to me. Really, wow. really cool and thoughtful. Wow, man. So 
I mean, across six interviews, that is a nice thing to do. Did you get a chance to meet everyone on the team? Like, I'm curious if you really, they really dug in deep with you. Yeah, I was, let's see, I met with the two managers specifically for the scaled team. I met with a manager of the support ops team, a manager on the customer success operations team, the director of CS revenue ops and the VP of revenue ops. I mean, all the way up the board, CS operations people that perhaps will be working more in the mid market to enterprise level. So I really met with every single or at least a person kind of from every step along the way that I'll have interaction with, which I I can appreciate for sure, because it's not just working with the same five people if you're doing your job correctly. It's kind of mm-hmm. touching the entire department. And do you get along well with all of them? So. Yeah, 100%. Show that you're someone that is worth working with. That'll get you 80% of the way there, I think. Yeah, no kidding. But kudos to them. We went through it very, very quickly. I think uh, I only started the process around Thanksgiving, and here we are not even a month later. Went through all those steps and got all the way to the point where an offer was out and accepted. It was all done through Greenhouse, I assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shout out Greenhouse. Incredibly intuitive. Drinking the Kool-Aid, or what is it, eating the dog food? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> it makes sense. Are they using Gainsight, too? It's, that's my guess. It's the, yeah. the Cadillac they these all, days. It, it sure is. It's nice. They have a, a huge operations team. So even though I do have Gainsight experience from rolling it out at my last company, I'm not going to be the, the sole person kind of managing it right. on a day-to-day basis or maybe on a team of two. I think that a lot of operations teams, whether it's sales ops or marketing ops or customer success ops, they don't have enough kind of devoted to their team. So where they would ideally like to be sitting down and doing strategy sessions and kind of tweaking gain sight to match a company's goals for the upcoming quarter or two, they instead spend a lot of time managing tickets in, in Jira or Salesforce or wherever it might be to fix some bugs and they never actually get around to doing the real work because they're stuck Mm. kind of kicking around these pebbles so incredibly excited to not be in that position and to have some tangible impact especially if you're a series d at that point you need to have you need to very much diversify the workload and like not have one person wear all these hats yeah it was the antithesis of being siloed i was you can certainly get into the case where you are so helpful in so many ways that you can't actually make a large impact in any way because you're doing so mm. much. It's which I would have never thought to be the case because I love taking on as many things as possible. It's like right. you see a problem and you go, I can fix that. Yeah, let me spend some time on it. And next thing you know, you've only gotten 25% of the way done across seven projects and you go, oh boy, could use some help mm-hmm. here. Yeah, just you gotta learn to say no and understand yep. what's your lane. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, let's let's kind of rewind, I guess. Let's start from the beginning. Like, I'm, I know you've got a connection to the golf world, right? But mm-hmm. I would love to hear you recant what you were thinking of doing in school, and you know, what what did you first do in the in the job world, and like, what were you thinking at that time? Yeah, I was thinking like a lot of twenty and twenty one year olds, right? Uh, shoot for the moon. And if you fall, you might end up on the clouds. Is that, is that how it goes? Right? Just, <laughs> Something just soft, go right? for it, right? So uh, I, I got an internship through the Career Center at University of Southern California, Go Trojans. Got an internship with ESPN. 
after my junior year. I thought that was the avenue that I really wanted to go. Both my parents were sports crazy, and that was passed on to me as a child. I remember going to you know USC football games when I was like three or four, really early on, just loving all sports and, and the stories that were behind them. So getting into sports journalism seemed like a no-brainer. Mm. Got over to ESPN, turned that into a full-time career, and that was... A lot of fun. It was an immediate jump into the big leagues. It's it's quite something to show up there and and you you're speaking a certain level of sports geek and every mm, single yeah. person there understands that joke where you're yeah. referencing you know something completely obscure in the sports world and you go wow this is it I've made it I'm in heaven. But the sports world quickly can become not so much your hobby anymore, especially right. working in the world of sports journalism where, you know, all the activities for the most part are happening at nighttime. So your career is dictated by a schedule that begins, you know, on the East Coast around 5 or 6 p.m. And mm -hmm. for us here on the West Coast, 4 o'clock for television as we're prepping for it. So a lot of days working 4 p.m. to midnight or 1 a.m. if you right. get some of those late Dodgers or Lakers games here on the <laughs> west coast and so it, you know while it was certainly fun for a while I said well let's go try and find something else figured there's a lot of things I can do out there why not see what else we can do and I can go back to watching the games with without a television deadline looming over me get this game cut and you have two minutes to turn it around and get it on air <laughs> it's a very high stress environment because you know you want it to be perfect you're displaying something for, for people to see out on cable television, millions of people. So you want to get it right. So then, so you're like, all right, ESPN, done with you. Did you go straight to the, the Cal State Northridge women's golf team? Almost. I, I decided I wanted to work in the world of golf. You don't immediately just jump into, say, like being an assistant pro or, or whatnot. You typically get certified and, and then you can get your first job. Well, I didn't want to wait. So I said, let yeah. me go. Let me work at a course. I'll just, you know, pick balls at the range and get to know people and work on my certification. And I said, instead of working for my certification for the PGA to be a professional, I want to work towards an NCAA certification so I can be a coach. So I remember cool. during lunch breaks, I would, I had the big book of like 500 pages full of things you had to know in order to not commit a violation. As I was studying that, I happened to be working at a course where the Cal State Northridge uh, women's team would practice. And I remember approaching the head coach saying, hey, I'm in the middle of studying. I, I should be passing shortly. The next test is in three or four weeks. Will you take me on as your assistant? I know you're fairly new here in town. I know quite a few people that can help you, but just willing to do kind of anything and everything. And I Perfect. think guess some people do love hearing that for sure, right? They yeah. are resource strapped, money strapped, and they say, we'll take anybody who's who's willing to to do anything we ask. And so, and so I got in, that was, that was a ton of fun. That's so awesome. Like if you know that this world exists, you got to surround yourself with people in that world. If you want to be into it, you might not have this certification or you might be a year or two away, but you just like make the right connection that can jumpstart so many things for you. It's so cool that you were yeah. able to do that so early on. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I think one of the, the biggest things for me in, in coaching is it's not only a chance to maybe coach in a 
golf sense, right? Like your swing is a little bit off in this way. Let's work on it. But maybe also the mental capacity of it as well, right? And mm-hmm. helping them see that there's a strong connection between the game of golf and the game of life. Sometimes you do everything right and the result is still terrible. But you do have to get on with it and make your best of it. So really helping kind of coach them through the game of life while also coaching them through the game of golf and hoping I had a small impact, if if anything. That's my favorite part of coaching for sure. Yeah. And you're a good coach too. I mean, you, I still use the tips you give me and <laughs> I realize I just got to remember these three things Daniel told me and like, it'll be fine. I think one of the most interesting things that I, I learned while I was a coach, which I still carry over to this day. I see this a ton as I was coaching either at a country club or coaching through practices throughout the week is there may be one particular swing thought or, or theory about the swing that I'm trying to communicate to them. And while, you know, saying it one way to Clarice, it definitely gets through to her. It maybe didn't get through to uh, Cecile in the same way. So I'm trying to convey the same message, but I have to find a different way to say mm. it, whether that's, I have to draw a different picture. I have to find new words or new analogies to describe the same exact thing. Funny enough, go figure, jump into the real world. And it's, it's the same thing at work, right? I've been trying to communicate X message to the marketing team. The product team totally understood what I was getting at right away, mm-hmm. made that mm-hmm. change, go to the marketing team, they have no clue what I'm talking about. I have to change up the vernacular <laughs> that I'm employing yeah. to try and get this message across. Yeah, hundred percent. And even back to like just the different customer segment that you work with, how you talk to them is going to change and you're even just person to person. I mean, you just got to be good mm-hmm. at like reading people, understanding how can I meet them where they are. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. Any big wins that you guys got? I think for us, it's tough being not one of the major schools along the West Coast and trying to recruit in college. You're obviously seeing a lot of stellar athletes going to places like C or Stanford or Berkeley or in golf, even further down south, right? San Diego. If I'm going to spend mm-hmm. four years in college golfing, why not be right along the beach? But I think it's it's adapting to not having maybe the same resources as them, but still mm-hmm. competing in the same tournaments. Like we played in the same tournaments sometimes as like Duke and UCLA and USC and in Stanford. And it's, hey, you know, they may have had the greatest practice facility ever built on their campus and they're mm-hmm. in there. And they're able to do a lot more with a lot less effort. But here we are at the end of the day. And if they're not mentally prepared and ready to go, we can beat them today. So I don't right. care how fancy are the machines they have, how many putting greens they have in their practice facility. The only thing you can control is kind of what it is that you have here ready today. And... There's no point in writing yourself off before you even began because you don't know what your competitors are bringing that day. So it's certainly worth it to give it your best shot. Might as well go out there before writing yourself off before the first shot of the day. So we did have... We did have some good rounds against them. We didn't win every tournament. We won a few tournaments, which was really great. But it was always fun kind of seeing that light bulb go off saying, wow, you know, we just we just beat. You know, the University of Colorado, a Pac-12 school with tons of resources, a lot more money devoted to their program than we did. Wow. Okay. Maybe we can do this. 
and then they go to work even harder. It's fun kind of seeing that that light bulb go off for people. That's killer, man. I guess into the tech world, how did you find your way from coaching and golf? And how did you get into this this crazy startup world? Yeah, along the way from ESPN through a few other careers, had noticed that there was a, a propensity for the people that I reported into to tell me, Daniel, it's like, thanks for bringing this to our attention. It, it's sure it's an inefficiency in our process, but you know, we've been doing it this way for 15 years. So it's, it's more effort to change it than it is for you to kind of deal with the fact that it's not perfect. So mm-hmm. thanks for bringing it up, but we're going to keep things the way they are. As the son of two rocket scientists, people who say, you know, if there's an inefficiency, why the hell are we wasting time? But the the thing that did get through to me was the most logical approach is almost always going to be the right way to do something. It may require a little bit more effort now, but don't just keep slapping band-aids on it and saying, well, you know, it's somebody else will figure it out and they'll deal with it. So I said, well, let me start to figure out if there's a way to to work in a world like that. I had a bunch of friends who were in the startup world out of college and started taking them out to coffee and, and asking them about their career choices and what they've liked so far and what they didn't like. A lot of them mm-hmm. from startups said that, you know, they had the ability to, even in their very, very junior positions, make a tangible impact on the on the company, whether it be some small process that makes the you know internal doings go a little bit smoother or an impact on things that the customers are actually interacting with. And I said, well, that's kind of exactly what I'm looking for, right? I don't have to be the CEO to change the trajectory of the company. Clearly the way that the CEO makes an effort is going to be a larger impact, but I can still have some impact. Went on to AngelList, started looking up some some startups and and looking at job requirements and saying, wow, a lot of this really resonates with me because in order to get into a startup pretty early on, it's people who like to you know be gritty, like to get their hands dirty, get involved with the process and, and do the day-to-day kind of monotony of it so that you can learn how to make the process a little bit better. It's not even like it requires any after hours thinking or engagement about it. It's purely on the job yeah. and you go, man, this just, this doesn't seem right, Andy. Like, why, why do we have it this way? Do you mind me asking? I've got an idea about how it could possibly be better. Would love to hear about how we settled on this. Okay, well, here's my experience from actually doing it. Perhaps the company has grown beyond that process and we need to iterate in order to keep up. And oftentimes your bosses, their bosses, bosses, they're going to love that you're thinking about making everything better as you go along. And at the end of the day, it's it's kind of a, a selfish thing in a good way. It's like, I don't want to do mm-hmm. something that takes me three hours to do when I could just update the process, make it better, and it's 15 minutes to do, it's two hours and 45 minutes in my day for me to do something else, right? Yeah, I think maybe in the old corporate world, there's this fear that if I tell them this, I will lose my job. But at a startup, it's no, we want you to figure out this job and make it efficient so we can hire someone else and they're just like plug and play. Then you, you go do something else and you hire, you manage that team or something or you know, let's make this better for all of us so that we can all enjoy yeah. the equity reward someday, you know, yeah. in the future. 
And I think especially with things like, what's this new thing that came out? Chat GPT. <laughs> right, and, yeah. right. And all these things yeah. out here. Like technology is advancing so fast. You, you can't rely on people just hoping that your tribal knowledge is going to be enough. They're, yeah. People are finding ways to make automation incredibly easy to implement. So get so on true. board, figure out how to how to be an expert in, in anything automation, right? Who's looking for efficiency in automation. Yeah, it's like half the reason why any software is bought. It's just like doing this a little bit faster and then you plug in the ROI calc and okay, yeah. it's worth it to buy this software to do this job. And now your job is going to be more analysis or it's going to be like yeah. monitoring this or way more interesting. Someone's going to pay people to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Good stuff, man. So you got into the startup world. It, I know it was like more of an operations type of role and I guess like support and customer relationships, but it was on the B2C side, right? Yeah. So a couple different gigs with some overlap. One of them, shout out to Rinse, on-demand laundry <laughs> and dry cleaning pickup and drop-off. Very cool. They operate in a bunch of major cities now. I think they just just purchased another company out in New York. So they're getting a foothold in New York as well through M&A. Very cool. They were San Francisco based. They decided to roll out Los Angeles as their kind of second city to operate in. And we just inherited their playbook. And yep. the building size and shape was completely different so the day-to-day around how do you sort which bags go to which you know cleaners and and what's the process for sorting them when it gets back how do you handle rush versus not rush and all these Mm -hmm. different things were we're going off a, a playbook that was not meant for us also wasn't meant for Kind of the the traffic that we were working off of as well. So for yeah. me, doing the nightly operations and making sure that the drivers were in certain places and tracking where they were throughout the city relative to the requests from the clients and routing them, it was it was a fun puzzle because imagine building a puzzle, but halfway through the puzzle, the picture changes. But really, really fun first job because it got me deep into the day-to-day, and then I would report every night in a nightly recap email up to the bosses and say, Mm -hmm. here's what happened, here are the metrics that I'm reporting on, here are my notes. And it was valuable because that was my first opportunity to say, hey, I know we're doing this X way. Do you mind if I try Y way tomorrow? Let's just give it a test. So convince them to do some A-B testing, and some of my... Some of my thoughts on how to make things better were completely wrong, but we didn't know sure. it until we tried it. And yeah. I was able to sell them on the fact that, you know, sure, everything seems okay here. Okay doesn't scale. As this company grows, as we see more and more and more, if it's just okay right now, what's going to happen when we have a really bad night? Either drivers call out or one particular cleaner, dry cleaner goes out for the night. Then what do we do? How can we start planning for that now by getting our process foolproof, thinking about those things before they even happen? So with that in mind, they're allowing me to have some leeway and take some more risks and I got hooked, right? Once somebody said, here's a brick wall, feel free to run into it at 100 miles an hour, see if you can break through it. And if you don't, well, we know that uh, you should probably put a helmet on next time. I was sold. <laughs> right. I said, let's yeah. just let's do this as often as we can until we break through it and then just find the next to. thing. Yeah. 
and the like the cost of inaction is just so great you know when you put it that way you're like every day that you save just by figuring out a little nugget of like what's more efficient or what what provides a better experience at least you know goes a long way like the snowball definitely works yeah so did some ops with with rinse and then i was also working for another b2c company called saucy maybe you're hosting a party and the person in charge of bringing the tequila didn't bring tequila you can have it ordered and delivered straight to your door so a lot of again routing drivers throughout many different cities all four time zones in the u.s from a tiny little apartment in west hollywood california i think one of the one of the most interesting things about it is we would partner with mom and pop liquor stores throughout the cities but also big box retailers Hmm. for Mm -hmm. for you know wines and spirits and they would only be able to provide us with an updated inventory count in the morning but as we went and people were ordering there are also people walking into the store in real life and buying it so even though i know i've only sold two bottles of this and they said there were six of them well the next time someone goes to order and it gets fulfilled through the app doesn't necessarily mean those bottles are still there yeah so a lot of interacting with the with the customers right and saying hey i know you purchased it apparently the store is out of we don't have a real-time inventory tracker so so you can imagine some people a little bit upset a little bit frustrated but it gave me an opportunity to really work on how to deal with conflict resolution with people who are working with an issue that's not the end of the world and in most cases in business it's not the end of the world and how can we very tactfully very professionally get them on the same level to realize that, hey, you know, there's something going on here. It's not the exact way you wanted it to go down. Things are going to be okay. I promise you it's going to be okay. So now that we've gotten over this stage of upset and maybe even pouting a little bit or shouting, (laughs) let's actually focus on fixing it. Yeah, seriously. With customer conversations, if there's some scenario that is not ideal, you know, CSM has to come on, like, you know, you're representing the company. I used to be like really afraid of those confrontations because we let them down. And I'm sure it's not like exactly the same as missing an alcohol order, but (laughs) it took me some time to realize that at least they're engaging with you and want to have a conversation about it. You have to just like take that right there as a win because like they could just completely ignore you and trash you on Twitter and you know, submit all these reviews and just not even give you any sort of time of day, tell other friends. I think that is way worse because it's just this like avalanche happening, you know, outside of your control. Whereas like, hey, let's just address it while they're ready to engage with you and come to some agreement on like a path forward. If someone's willing to engage, you can always, always at least have an attempt to make the situation better. Once it goes out on Yelp, Twitter, Instagram, it's it's hard to walk that back. Yeah. And so this experience, you're a prime candidate for Uber, right? So it seems like a pretty good hire on their front. Yeah. I, I was looking to parlay my startup experience into some big time startup experience, right? Yeah. Really starting to add to the ESPNs of the world and have some pretty solid logos on my resume. Uber out in Santa Monica was hiring for more success managers for their Uber Eats division, which, if I'm not mistaken, is still to this day its only profitable entity. Oh. So shout out to me and my team. You're welcome. Who, who needs profit though these days? You know, 
Correct. It's hey, as long as you get people to keep investing. So I, I took a job with the team there, and it was it was very fun, very interesting working in restaurant tech, working with clients who wanted to get their restaurant on the Uber Eats platform. Perhaps in in some way, people who had no idea that this was even a thing. I don't know what food delivery is. It sounds bad. I you know what happens to my food when the driver picks it up? Are they gonna eat it? Are they gonna forget to drop yeah. it off and then drop it off cold? There's so so many ways it could go wrong and especially in the very early days of food delivery so many things did go wrong there were so many hundreds of millions of dollars that were poured into a system that was pretty much the wild wild west i bet right you saw tons of reports of drivers just like you know eating the french fries out of the bag or drinking soda or just like hey i want a milkshake i'm just gonna forget to drop off the milkshake and it's not gonna hurt me any I'll just say that the restaurant never made it and I won't get dinged, just hand it off to the restaurant. I'm never going to see him again. So a lot of working with restaurants to continue to sell them on the propositions in which they were sold, right? This is the value you're going to see out of it. And we know that because we've got thousands of clients across the country working here and here's what you can expect to see and here's what we're working through. How does that sound to you? In most cases, they would say, look, I don't have the time to talk to you. I don't even have the time to see my family, let alone work with all of this new tech in my kitchen. I don't love it, but you're talking about tons of extra money. So I guess we'll keep trying it. So very, very interesting world. The margins, profit margins in restaurants are very low, talking like six to eight percent on most meals. Now you're I mean, now you're adding on twenty thirty percent fees for a cut to the delivery services. Yeah, I bet the pitch to restaurants has to be like, "Look, this is the way the world is going, whether you like it or not." I don't know if Uber Eats is the one, but we know now that there's like all these different players in the space now. Your restaurant probably changes the provider every year for some reason or another. Like it's so competitive, Grubhub, Chow Now, all the DoorDash. You know, yeah. like how do you even choose one or? A handful but the pitch is like hey this is happening okay like you need to be showing up on these apps or your business won't survive this any restaurant nowadays they've got like seven tablets in there because they're on caviar and doordash and grubhub and so on and so forth right so they got to the point where they had to essentially pay somebody to enter the orders into the system so that it would print out in the kitchen still wow. a lot of things that uh, that whole world's trying to figure out yeah i um i, I just call restaurants these days i use the menu and then I call them. I don't know. I don't know if they like upcharge too much on the menu. I've noticed some places do that. They'll add a few bucks to every item. They do. It specifically yeah. says in the contracts that they're not supposed to do it. Yet they do it. Yeah. Um, everybody knows, especially if it's a restaurant that you purchase from all the time. You're like, I'm pretty sure this pad CU I've ordered from this Thai place is supposed to be 14 bucks. <laughs> why is it 17? Uh, well, that's exactly why, because yeah. they have to pay their cut to Uber Eats or DoorDash or Postmates. So the restaurants definitely appreciate it when you call them directly. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. There was a weird thing that happened where I looked at this restaurant and I noticed it was like a different phone number than I remembered it being. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like it was like, you know, a round number, phone number, you know, ending in zero, zero. And so I call it and it's actually going to Grubhub. And it's like some rep, you know, somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, what? And so I just I went through it just to see what it was like. Asking 
the me- like questions about the menu. I'm just like, well, what comes with this? Like, and what can I remove from it? And they just had no idea like what I'm talking about. Yep. It's like, what? This is terrible. No one wants this. There's a lot of stuff that uh, can be made a lot more efficient and customer friendly for sure. I guess speaking of which, um, we can chat about how we how we know each other, how we work together. I think I'll I'll describe my perspective of you joining Flowcast, our team. We we're at 150 employees or something. It was like 2019, and my team like my I'm like a team of one where I'm just like running a webinar series, and I'm like working up the nerve every month to like actually go through with this webinar, teaching about a software that like I know the software, but I don't really know accounting, right? Like I don't know all the things that these finance and, and like accounting professionals know. And so it was very intimidating. And I was pretty relieved to have someone like yourself join us that um, was just like fearless, basically, with the unknown and just like walked right into it. You're just like, well, I'll, I'll do this, you know? And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like someone is like excited about the thing that I'm like working myself up to. So I was pretty stoked when you joined us. It's... um. That's that startup mentality. It's I may not have any idea what the hell I'm doing, but I'm not going to let you know that. And the fun thing about startups is you're generally given some runway to try and figure things out unless you sell them on the fact that you have very, very specific experience in X, Y, or Z, right? Which some people do, right? You're not expected to know everything. Coders still look up things on Stack Overflow all the time. People who work in Excel, they look up formulas in ex- for Excel all the time. You don't have to yeah. know how to do everything off the top of your head, but um, be willing to give it your best shot see what comes of it and be willing to ask for a little bit of help. Most times that's all people care about. Like I'm happy to be the operations person background, like making sure the show happens. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that you're, you're okay with the spotlight. That was a really good tag team that we had going. So for anybody who's never yeah. done webinars before, especially when you add in a Q and a element to it, it's, it's difficult to not only manage the script, also potentially manage the other people that are speaking on that webinar too. You kind of play the role of of coach or parent, kind of pumping them up. And I'm not going to bring up any trick questions for you. Just talk about what it is that you know. And people get nervous, right? It's just, you know, not everybody loves having the spotlight on them. So you're managing that. Mm -hmm. Also managing questions that are coming in and putting out polls. So having somebody on the background who is slacking me on the side saying, hey, by the way, Here's a really good question that came in. This is one that you should bring up to Erica. And my ability to communicate back to you was just drop a thumbs up emoji in Slack. Like, I got it. You get to move on. You don't have to worry about it anymore. There's definitely a skill set to doing webinars beyond just being gregarious and uh, you don't mind having the, the the spotlight on you. That's That's one thing, right? But managing it all is one hell of a process. Um, but we put on some really good productions and we ended up getting what was the CEO's favorite client ever, right? Yeah. We didn't expect business development to be like an output of this, but weirdly someone who like wasn't a customer was on and you know, it's, it's not like there's proprietary info. It's like very much open demo basically, but it had to like spark this like new opportunity out of nowhere was pretty cool. Yeah, we had a good good system going. Um, something else really interesting was like going to the product team and just being like, you know, I have basically a hundred users 
as an audience every month? Do I want to ask them anything? I don't know. It just seems like we should be asking them something, you know, like, do you want to ask them anything? Yeah, it turned into a pretty robust uh, beta, you know, hey, we have an avenue through which we can reach a bunch of clients and the ones that choose to engage um, outside of just the, you know, one time every three to four months we talk to them, those are probably people who are willing to tell us what we could be doing better or what else they'd like to see. So uh, obviously let's lean into that as best we can. And we did. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Spent a good amount of time in that role at Flowcast. I mean, I, our overlap was pretty short actually, surprisingly, with how uh, well we were doing together, um, which is a whole other story, I guess. It definitely seemed longer than it was because we did so much. Um, I think that a lot of the processes that we kind of built out, right? We it was it was still very new. Um, we didn't have a way to um, efficiently engage in a one-to-many capacity and uh, being smarter, right? Working smarter, not harder. It's how can I get this message out to as many people as possible? Very similar to sales, right? You have a drip campaign, right? Once I've engaged this client and they've, you know, it's gone one way or another, they get drip campaign A or drip campaign B to keep them engaged, hopefully. Um, Or for us on the customer success side, it's, hey, even though we have maybe an enterprise client that their CSM speaks to them weekly, there are still some scaled motions that can be applied to that segment, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be your main champion. It could be just the end users there, right? You're not talking to them on a weekly basis. You're talking to their boss's boss. They don't need to be the one leading all these workshops or keeping the team updated on what's new or what was enhanced. Um, How can we do that and make sure that we have uh, breadth of usage, get uh, a ton of users in there and using all of the different features of the application. So really fun. It's It's a puzzle to me that you woke up every day and you didn't you didn't have the box right you said well i'm kind of putting some puzzle pieces together i have no idea what i'm building here um but i have a feeling we're working on something pretty good here it feels like we're making some impact and then then you get halfway through and you go okay now i see what we're doing oh wow this is actually this is actually Mm -hmm. very cool or this can be pretty impactful like maybe we should meet with product ahead of time and like we can tease a little thing we're going to release in a few weeks and you start like realizing, okay, they, we, we kind of get the big picture now. Like we just kind of found our section and linked it up with that team section and kind of just turns into this function out of nowhere. Yeah. Next thing you know, you have a customer newsletter, right? They're getting the invites for all these different events that are going on. They're getting updates on enhancements. And for us, the success that came from that turned into community. So part of the marketing team, they, they have uh, multiple people working on the marketing team that handle engagement through a forum-based community where people can go and we're releasing information there and they're going and asking other people that use Flowcast, does anyone have any tips or how have you hacked the system to to you know do it in this certain way that we really need? So um, a byproduct of kind of the beginnings that we were putting together. And it doesn't just happen that way for CS. It happens in really every single department in a startup. So little things that that you're doing one day will inevitably turn out to be the process many, many years down the road, hopefully when uh, when that company goes public. Yeah, very cool to be in at that stage. It's, uh, it's good stuff. I wanted to ask you just a current events kind of thing. 
I know this changes daily. So like at this point, Elon is stepping down. This is before Christmas. Elon is stepping down now. He's abiding by the poll he set out. But I guess um, I'm curious from your perspective as a Twitter user, which you use a lot, do you like, are you optimistic about Twitter in general now? Or I'm curious if you've like considered using other other tools instead of it. I'm When I saw the poll come out, my first thought was, he already knows he's stepping down. And based yeah. on the trend of <laughs> sentiment towards him lately, um, he would have had to assume that he wasn't going to be popular with the majority of users, right? I'm pretty sure he had already decided or perhaps his investors had decided seeing as he didn't foot a $44 billion bill himself. And also it's affecting his other businesses. It's like, dude, what are you doing with this little tech company? Yeah. So uh, I would have to imagine that that was decided long ago for him. And uh, his poll was a way to save a little bit of dignity in that regard. But a bunch of people kind of figure this out in their professional careers. Just because you're a really good doer, a good individual contributor, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a perfect manager as you kind of move up the ranks. But a majority of, of the people out there will say that he has been able to create some pretty successful con companies and um, he's managing them somewhat well. You know, Tesla got up to $700 per share. So something was done right to get him to that point. Um, now maybe there's time for a change. I think Twitter is tough if you don't take the time to properly curate it for yourself. When I was first on Twitter, it was just so much out there and I was just saying, man, I don't like a lot of this. I don't agree with a lot of this. Why don't I just turn it into the topics that I'm interested in learning about? Because I feel like I do a pretty good job of educating myself and what's going on with the world, but maybe I'd like a little bit more help in knowing what's going on politically uh, or financially or this one particular journalist's, you know, take on the events going on because yeah. I find his writing style particularly moving, right? So once I started to not follow every single person that I thought was funny or had one good tweet, um, I become a lot more educated in what's going on in the world and I try not to get too extreme in either direction on any takes that are out there. You know, what's a good way to really approach this from both sides? And I think I found a pretty good list. When considering something like Post or Mastodon, I don't know that I would be willing to immediately invest the upfront effort to curate likewise over there or to duplicate what I have inside of Twitter. Um, how much am I going to get out of the effort that I'm going to be putting into it? I admittedly do get quite a bit from Twitter and it's amazing to me that from all that I've managed to get out of Twitter, they have made zero dollars and zero cents off of me. I mean, maybe ads worked on you, I guess, like something, but... ROAS was possibly there on some things, but, um, you know, as a direct consumer between me and them, nothing. There's been nothing for me that has enticed me or made me even want to spend money with them. It's very strange that uh, by far and away the most used app on my phone, it could go away anytime soon and they will have not made any money off me. Yeah, pretty interesting. So you're married to Twitter and it would have to be pretty catastrophic for you to like leave. 
as long as the uh, list of people that I follow are still there and yeah. tweeting, then uh, then it's a product worth having for me on my phone. I was thinking about this the other night that if the what I feel to be inevitable does come to fruition and there is no Twitter and I decide not to go the post or Mastodon route, how will I get all of this information that I've had? Um, because nowadays it's, you know, journalists, so signing up for multiple newspapers perhaps or signing up for magazines, getting a subscription to things like, you know, The Atlantic or Bloomberg, right? Or maybe it means watching a little bit more television, which I don't like the idea of. Uh, I haven't really landed on how I'll be able to to replicate what I've been getting from Twitter. So it's a uh, very interesting point that we've reached here. I appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Can't wait to see this get chopped up and we can even recap. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be nice. Well, all right, my friend, have a wonderful Christmas. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks for joining Word Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties. My name is Andy, and I thank you for joining me. Work Stuff, a podcast. Professional stories casually told on Work Stuff.